Welcome, everybody, to Commerce Kings. <laughs> we got Alex Hermosi, the owner, CEO, brand creator of Gym Lords. Were you the, is that a good, should I add anything else to that? <laughs> oh, no, I, you know, resident listener of my team. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that's amazing. That's me, man. So we were actually, so I met Alex. That's where we met, right? In Las Vegas? Uh, we, we spoke at Funnel Hackers like four years or three years ago together. And that's where I think the first time I met you. And then it was brief because we did the round tables afterwards. And then oh. we stayed a little bit in touch. But then the, the first real time was in Vegas when we did the uh, three day. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. So like we went to this, we, we got, we, broke, we both were personally invited to, this, the, to the Las Vegas Pirates Cove um, event where Russell Brunson basically sent us a video. It's like a 10 minute video and eight, literally eight minutes of the video was um, about the damn slide. Yeah. I mean, that was, and that, I mean, a lot, a lot of the mastermind was the slide though, to be fair. <laughs> the slide. So if you go to Pirates Cove in Las Vegas, you should, you should just YouTube this thing. YouTube Pirates Cove, Las Vegas. It's a, like a resort almost that you rent out. It's a hundred grand a week. And I think all of us paid like 10 grand or something to go. And it was, it was, and, and, and truly the slide was pretty damn epic. And I got to say, like there should have been an award afterwards for Alex. Like the last, I got lucky. I was good up until the last day. The last day we went so freaking fast on that slide. I like injured my back. Like my back, I pulled out my, 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 I don't even know what I pulled, but it was something bad, fierce. And you, obviously, you're just like, you just kept going. Like, you just kept hitting that slide. And you just couldn't, like, you couldn't get enough of that slide. I was digging it, man. I was catching up on, like, 10 years of childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so we use, so this slide is, like, I don't know, custom built. It goes down a dark, like, hill. You don't even, like, it's a down ramp and it swirls around, does all this kind of crazy stuff where you almost, like, flip out every time. So we thought we would take it up in a, a notch. And then we put, uh, we got on these little rafts. So they'd go quicker in the water. So then, and then along with that, we chained ourselves together. Like we were hauled onto each other, right? Going down in weird ways too, like almost fraternity ways. Like yeah. we would go head first, but then the second guy was holding the other dude's legs. You're kind of a little close proximity to uh, the privates. And so then, then, then what did we do? We, 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 the people who own the place, they own that multi-level market. I think it's called like Neurum or something like that. I don't even know if it was Neurum. But they put shampoo and conditioner in all the bathrooms. So I went and grabbed all the shampoo and conditioners and we dumped it on the slide. <laughs> and then it went even faster. Then it went even faster. We were clocking some speed on that. So anyways, I don't know if you guys were here to learn about the slide at Pirates Cove or more about Alex. Probably more about Alex. <laughs> so Alex is doing some pretty amazing things. With, uh, with gym lords. So, oh yeah, why we brought up the, the Commerce Kings because you brought it up before we started, which was I'm holding the Commerce Kings logo. We got that thing sprayed around all over the place. And you got gym lords and both were created at Pirate's Cove. The, 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 the saying, I guess. The name Cool. And now, you, and now you have a picture of yourself holding a sword with Layla, your wife. <laughs> And a mustache. Just no king of the night. I've seen the ad. It looks good. I just have no shame. That's really what it comes down to. No shame. All right, man. So enough of me talking. Let's get you talking. So what are you, what are you doing in volume? What, what the hell? How do you do it? 
And um, how do you stay so cool? Um, right now we do about two and a half million a month um, for our business. That's a combination of gym launch and gym legacy. Legacy is our gym lords. Like that's the, that's the group gym lords. Like, so if you are, if you are in the NFL, you're an NFL player, you're in gym legacy, but you are a gym lord. Um, so gym lord is the back end program. Uh, we have about 500 gyms. Uh, it's 42,000 a year. And then, uh, we have, uh, like our, our inflow of people who come into our world, uh, come in through gym launch, which is a 16 week kind of intensive where we give them all of the skills for what we call the five, you know, <clears throat> Alex Sharfman was actually at that, uh, at the Pirates Go Mastermind and, um, he uses the five core functions. There's two other ones, but just for most businesses that are not doing 3 million or more a year, you don't need to worry about like HR and finance. Um, but, uh, but lead generation, lead nurture, sales, fulfillment, and then resell and ascension. Um, are that all again, but much slower. So I can write them down. Lead generation. So we, so in a 16 week intensive, we make sure that everyone who walks out of there knows how to do the five core functions for their, their gym. So how do you generate leads? How do you nurture those leads, which in the gym world is how do you get them scheduled and how do you get them to show? And mm-hmm. then once you get them to show, how do you get them to give you money? And then once they give you money, how do you get them to really like you a lot and then want to stay? Because usually within gyms, you sign people up for a front end program, typically, at least that's how we t- teach and that's how I've done it. Um, and then you have a certain amount of time and defined end program where you can over deliver value. And then if you do that right, then they're going to want to stay on the back end. You'll notice that my business has not changed since I had a gym. I have a 16 week program and then we upsell people into a membership. Um, and it worked pretty well for me then. And it works pretty well now. Um, so that's what, that's what the intensive is really about. Legacy is everything else that has to do with the gym model. So that's how we do high ticket sales, like $3,000 packages for the gym, you know, in the gym space. Um, we do continuous lead generation for them on five, all five platforms. So, uh, AdWords, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram stories. We, we test. So I spend my own money, uh, not theirs to go find ads and created offers that are converting. And then I just give it to them. And so for them, it's basically like just getting handed winning scratch off tickets that you already know are winners. And so they just place the ads and they win and they make four or five times what they pay me. Then I make my money on the fact that there's a lot of them. Who, um, who do you advertise sports? Cause you don't have your gyms anymore, right? No, I sold those in November of 2016. So then who are you doing the ads for? Do you just pick like your best client? No, that's actually, so we do the opposite. Uh, well, not the opposite. So we, we, we try and get a, a, a broad um, slice of, I mean, because all the people in gym lords automatically make on average, you know, a quarter million dollars more than the average gym does. So like they're all doing well because they're with us. But um, if someone's struggling with a specific thing, um, then like if their market is like their market's been harder for them to crack, then we'll like for any Legion stuff, we take the worst gyms, the, not worst in terms of their quality of gym, but the people who are struggling the most with lead generation. Mm. But we continually release new things to that group, not just lead gen wise. Um, and so if it's something for, let's say retention or phone sales or uh, lead nurture to get people to show up at a higher rate, We'll take the people who are struggling the most with lead nurture or sales or whatever. And then we will implement, you know, the fix or the solution. And then we'll give it a month or two months. And then we will see what actual measurable result has changed. If it is a positive change, that's significant enough to be worth reporting. 
then we modularize that and then we provide it. That's amazing. I love that. And then how many people are on your team? I think we're at 50 something. 50 employees. And so I'm pretty sure you still work out of your house, right? I do. Yeah. I and would so show you, well, I don't know if you can see through there. Hold on. There's my, you can see one of the garage doors is open. That's my gym getting cleaned. <laughs> oh, you so, you're, so your cleaner drives a, a BMW. You must pay them well. Yeah, I'm too much. Obviously. <laughs> That's actually a free BMW. It is. Right? Maybe we should yeah. talk about that. That is a ClickFunnels uh, dream car. Um, so Russell was kind enough to give us a car because we had, I think, 200 or more affiliates. Now we're at five or 600 or something like that. But um, anyway, so they give you a car after you hit 200. And we hit 200. So they gave us a list. I, I found out later you didn't have to listen to that list. But I was like, okay, well, here's our list. I gave it to Layla. I was like, do you like any of these? And she was like, I like that one. I was like, all right, well, that's what we'll get. <laughs> I was like, I don't really care. I'm not actually a car guy. I would never buy a car like that. Yeah. I love, well, I love how you, so that's, a, it's very interesting how you like put it all together because you didn't go out and buy the car. You didn't go out and get the car that you don't want or whatever. You use somebody else's system to get a free car. Like it's fantastic. It's just leverage. Right. So what's cool about it is, and I, I love, I, I'm glad I know this about you cause I get to explain a little bit more, but you have your clients sign up to click funnels and show them how to lead in through there. And then by doing so, by giving value, ClickFunnels is giving you value. In this case, it's a car. And, and you still get a commission check every month. It's a win-win. <laughs> it's a lot of wins. It's a win-win-win. It's, it's pretty cool. So, dude, you're making, you're making good money, man. Like, you're doing well. You're having a lot of fun. You got 50 employees. You work from home. I think a really cool thing that you shared with me when we were just kind of talking one day is you – and I want you to kind of explain this. I want to take all your thunder – like, what do you want to do with all your time? What do I want to do with all my time? Yeah. Um, you mean like, what do I want? Like, what's an ideal day look like for me as a business owner? Or do you mean, is, is, that, what, is that what you mean by what do I want to do with my time? Yeah, like, where, where are you wanting to take your time? Like, you kind of talk, started telling me about, like, how you wanted to read a lot. You can steal some of my thunder just because I'm, I'm aloof. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're telling me how, like, Man, I want to start reading like five hours a day, like like Warren Buffett and take all yeah. that thing. So yes. So basically what we've done, so just for anyone, just so everyone here has context, like we're at two and a half million dollars. Like everyone hears those numbers and like in the internet marketing world, they're like, it's Alex and he's running ads, and then they're just making two like it doesn't it doesn't work like that. At a certain scale, like you have to have teams and then you have to have multiple levels of management. Like the skills that take you to go from zero to a million or a million to three million are not the skills that go from three to 10 or 10 to 30 or 30 to a hundred, like, which is what we'll hopefully do next year. Um, like they're not the same skill set. And honestly, the skill set that, that takes you from 10 to a hundred is really not sexy. In my opinion, it's like learning to lead well and have clear communication cycles with each department and having clear roles outlined for each employee. So they know exactly what they're doing when they're doing it right or, what they're not doing if they're doing it wrong and uh making like it's 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 the not fun stuff but that's what runs like that's how an organization runs and that's when it goes from being like hey i started this thing to like it's a company you know um but to to circle the the, the wagon around me so what do you want to do with your time 
everything like I'm going to, I mean, this would be a longer answer, I guess. So, sorry. Um, so if you think about how much money you make, it's always in relation to the skill set that you have. And so I use the gym owner example because that's my people, but like they're usually starting their training sessions on the floor, which is a $15 an hour job. And they're like, I can't make more money than this because they're trading all their time for a $15 an hour job. The moment they learn how to sell, which is one of the things that we teach them plus lead generation, they're making 500 an hour because they're selling. Right. And they also have the skill of marketing. So they got two skills, which then took their income from 15 an hour to, I mean, and it more than, you know, what is that? Uh, 30 X is their income. But the thing is, is that skills don't necessarily need to take a long time to learn. It doesn't need to take you 30 times as long to learn sales and marketing as it does for you to learn how to train people. But it's interesting, but people don't make that jump. Right. And so as you continue to level up, like in the beginning, I sold. Right. And then after that, I started to manage the sales team. Now, what happens when you manage a sales team? Managing a sales team is a more valuable skill set because then I can have five people who are doing the same numbers as me. And if I'm a good manager, which means I've acquired a, a high level of mastery on that skill set, then I'm making even more money. Right. What's interesting is that there's a sticky point where you transition from selling to managing people who are selling for you and you suck at managing because it's new and they suck at selling because they're new. And that's the part where most entrepreneurs struggle is when they jump from one level to the next. And there's a lot of people who never actually make the jump. They continue to go back and forth. They continue to turn through salespeople because they never acquire the skill or they do it too soon, which is usually the big, that's usually what it is, is that they, they get bored really quickly because they're entrepreneurs, but sometimes boring is good. And um, that's one of the big things that we preach is that like a boring business is not a bad thing. So um, anyways, with my time, as we continue to, to acquire new skills, right, then the things that are on my plate continues to become less and less and less doing and a lot more directing and then the kind of thinking uh, because it's just seeing like, what, what, what are we looking at in the marketplace? What are the things that are potential issues or opportunities that we can do or used to exploit our network and our resources to go pursue them. So like with the lead gen stuff in the beginning, I was the one running the lead gen meetings where I'd take 20 gyms and then I'd come up with the creative, but now we have a creative director and he's got a videographer and a graphics guy. And then we have two people who run traffic and like, like, you know what I mean? Like all those skills were skills that I had to learn Mm -hmm. and then modularize and pass on and then learn how to manage. But the reality is that I'm a really crappy manager, like very, very bad. My wife is an amazing one. Well, she's not a manager. She's like a leader. She's, she really does run the company. Um, and so she's continually taken, (laughs) pushes me out of my next role over and over and over again to the point where now, um, if you were to look, I can even show you, I don't know. Can I screen share? Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. It sounds good. We've never done that. This would be interesting. Um, this is, this is like, this is my, like tomorrow I, we're going to work out and then I have a huddle. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've got stuff like my workout is on here, but I, I really don't have anything. <laughs> um, I have my two team huddles, which is the only thing that I attend on a daily basis. And then maybe one other thing every day. And the rest of my day is just spent doing what I need to do, which is learning and thinking, which sounds really lame, but that's sort of where I'm at right now. Um, so how are you learning and how are you thinking? Um, so thinking wise, so I guess they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I, I'm a big fan of like binge consuming certain types of content. Ooh. So if I need to focus on sales, then I'll just read a few sales books back to back. And um, I think one of the things that's been somewhat unique about the way, or at least from what I understand about how people learn things, um, is that I will read a lot over short periods of time. And then it will take me like two months to like digest everything that I just read. And so I take notes, very deep notes, 
for each book that I read. And then from the notes, I write down what are the actions that I would like to do from those things. And then once I finish the book, I categorize those actions and then I prioritize them. And I don't start another book until I've done those things. And so what's kind of funny, and this is what I told you, I was like, I would like to read more, but I say that I think I've only read like maybe 25, maybe 30 books, but we've just done everything that's been in all the books. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm just making, I'm just making a pass real quick. So binge consuming, you find topics like selling you yeah. take deep notes, you look at the actions of those deep notes, you categorize the actions and then you prioritize the actions. Yeah. And then we do the actions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, 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 last main, the main count. step, the one that actually counts do. And then, yeah. And the last step would really be at this point, we can delegate those things. Absolutely. Yeah. It do. It, yeah. Implement or delegate. I love that. What's your, what's your opinion on what's that? I was just saying you start to have this internal alarm that goes off when you start doing things, I think at a certain point, cause you're like what the skill that takes you to get you from zero to a million or zero to three or whatever is doing and hustling and grinding. But if the coach of the NFL team starts like going into the offensive lineman's like coach's playbook and starts writing stuff like the rest of the team is suffering. So like it is not advantageous for him to do that and step on the field because then everything else goes down. And so like you have to catch yourself when you're doing things to be like, should I be doing this? Can someone else do it? Mm-hmm. And then most of the times it's yes. And it's just our ego that says no or our fear of being an entrepreneur who like, what if I give them the keys to the castle? Then it means they can run the castle without you, which is a good thing. <laughs> or you're like, where'd my castle go? <laughs> <laughs> Don't let that happen. So, hey, what's your opinion on broke people? <laughs> what's my opinion on broke people? That's such a funny question. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, there's tons of mindset things. Or, like, typically, they have, like, a hatred of money um, a lot of times. They don't think they do, but a lot of times people will self-sabotage. Um, well, maybe, here, let me get more clear. How, yeah. What's your thoughts on selling to broke people? Oh, selling to broke people. I'm an equal opportunity salesman. Um, I sell to rich and poor alike. So I, I don't, I, I genuinely believe that, um, well, from an overarching business strategy, I don't think that making offers that cater to people who are like that is necessarily going to be the best strategy. But when it comes to a tactical hand-to-hand combat standpoint, once you are in the arena with someone, you are on the phone, they have walked into your door, that, that possibility of them being broke is no longer an option. And so at that point, it's always a priorities thing. So like if someone's like, I don't have the money, it's never really the answer because if I were to say, I'm going to give you that BMW that we just had on the screen two seconds ago, if you can give me $500, they would find a way to get me $500, right? And so if you can think about that always, then it just means that when someone, whenever someone says they don't have the money, it means you just didn't make it important or valuable enough for them. Um, but I, uh, but for the salesman, they should either go in thinking, okay, I'm going to try and close this knowing what I just said about the BMW. But if I don't, then it's going to be an awesome opportunity for me to practice and hone my skill. Um, and like one of my, one of my, <laughs> one of my crowning achievements, I think I've sold two people who are homeless um, into like a $600 fitness program. Um, but I was proud of that because I do think it's going to help them if they can, you know, get the discipline in this area. But it's just like, most people will see someone, they'll make a judgment that they're poor and then they won't even give them a real sale. And what the reality is that most times people do have the money, but you just because you don't want to feel bad about yourself say that they don't. Yeah. But the reality is that like everyone has money 
Every, like that, homeless people have cell phones. Everyone eats. It's America. You know what I mean? Like people have money. They just don't want to give it to you. That's, that's, why, you li- that's why you like selling to broke people because they, they're the ones who spend money. I'm just, oh, you mean that aspect. Yeah. So what, if, you, if, you're, if you're watching this and you have, you have to sell to people who are broke, um, I think that selling, you have, there's two beliefs, right? So like if you can sell to rich people, that's great. They have money and they're rich. So you should be able to sell them. If there are poor people, right? The reason that people are poor is because they don't know how to hold on to their money, which means that they should be easier to depart with their money than a rich person is. So you really have a win-win either way. Either one person has an abundance of money and they're you know, happy to hand it to you, or they're just not good at holding on to money, which is why they're poor, which means it might as well be you who takes it. Yeah. And I say take, and I say that purposely because a lot of people are like, people give you money. Like, no, get on the phone. Like, you have to take it. And you take it for their own good. The difference between help and manipulation is intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, I would would like to hear the story of when you're back in the gyms, like I remember the story from Vegas, where you're back in the gyms and you're explaining how you were sitting down and you're, I think you're tired that day of selling supplements and how you made like this, this epiphany. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So, um, one of the big things that I, so from an overarching standpoint, people are much easier to sell when they don't know they're being sold to. Um, and so, because then you can basically just make, have someone make a subconscious decision. If you ever see people who are closing 90% plus, it's because the other person doesn't know they're being sold and doesn't know they have an option. And so I spent probably a year, year and a half trying to sell supplements at my gym. Um, and I, I just couldn't, I mean, I, I was, I made sales, you know, but like, I was like, this is just too much of a battle. Like there's too much arm wrestling that's going on here. And finally, after like going, batting 50%, you know, for the day, which for me at that time was like heart you know, soul wrenching. Um, I was just like exasperated and beat up on my like, cause I'm a big fan of like learning how to do one-on-one for a long time. So a lot of like my gym owners are used to doing 20 consults a day. I mean like you get good at sales very fast when you have that many at bats. But anyways, um, this lady came in and thank God she was just chipper that day. And, um, I had just, you know, I had just been battered and I just looked at her and I was like, you want chocolate or vanilla? And she was like, which one do you like? And I was like, chocolate and she was like okay I'll have that and I was like okay I didn't even talk to anything about the benefits about like what it was going to do for her about like what her pains I didn't talk about any of that and I was like uh do you want strawberry or kiwi and she was like and I was like I like kiwi she was like <laughs> okay I'll do that one and I was like do you want to use the card you have on file and she was like yeah and I was like okay I like didn't want to scare her away. <laughs> and um I basically it was just the first time I'd ever done an assumed close and, um, and just giving people a, a choice or their mind is thinking about the choice, which is the choice they want. You want them to be thinking about, which is, do I want the, the Supreme or the, or the, here's another really good example of this. If you ever rent a car, when they ask you, do you want the super insurance or do you just want the minimum? Mm-hmm. Right. Everyone's like, Oh, I'll just take the minimum. Right. But the reality is that you don't need it because your card already covers it anyways. Right. right? Yeah. But <laughs> The minimum, like, and even the word minimum assumes or implies that you, you can't not get that because that's the minimum. And so if you are naming packages and you want to get people to buy them, have two names, have one of them be the minimum, and then always push that one. You can have the anchor be super high because then they're like, oh my gosh, that's the super, I just, minimum's fine. And they think they're getting the deal because they're like, I'm being conservative. I'm only getting the minimum. The reality is they still want something. I love, I love going to, I love going to those car rentals and, and someone, you know, they, they, they do, they do ask that. You're very true. But I was just like, Oh no, I'll just use my own. And they're just like, he knows. 
<laughs> they get really weird about it because no one says no. Um, they really do. They get like very upset about it. They do. It's pretty funny. Dude, so in a business like yours, what's your biggest challenge right now? Like what's, what's painful to, to even look at, talk about, hate to think about? What's that, what's that big moment right now? Because you're, you're in those, you're talking about the chasm, crossing the chasm. So what's your, what's your challenge in the chasm? So um, the biggest thing is really just scaling the team at this point. So, you know, as, so first, the first thing you do as the entrepreneur is you have your core team. So like you should never have more than five people directing, you know, mm-hmm. some people say up to seven. Um, you can have slightly more if everyone has the same role. An example would be like a sales manager could have potentially like seven people who are direct salesmen who all have the same job, but you can't really have more than five if they have different roles. Um, so in the beginning you have your core five, right? And then as you level up, each of those five become basically department heads because in the beginning you're trying to outsource each of the things that you're doing in your business, which when you're a one man show, you're doing you're doing sales, you're doing lead generation, you're doing, <laughs> you're doing customer service, you're, you know what I mean? And so you start outsourcing those things in the, in the inverse order of the, of the value that you find in the marketplace, right? Yep. So the first things that we outsourced was the customer service. So mm. people were like, how did you train your customer? So one of the things that we're known for is having world-class customer service. That's like one of our big things. Um, you know, we've got 20 full-time support and all they do is they hop on the phone with gym owners. We share screens, we fix funnels. We've got pixel specialists, automation specialists, funnel specialists, ad specialists. Um, they're like, how do you, how do you do that? I was like, we have them go through our training, which is what we give our clients. So they know it really well, (laughs) you know what I mean? And then it also gives us the opportunity to continually improve the product so that the product is always up to date and always good because it's literally how we train our people. Um, We've actually since created, uh, it's called a click training, which is, it's like when you're creating a much bigger organization. For anybody who's listening to this, you probably don't need to worry about that. Um, <laughs> you can just check me what I just said. Uh, but the big, the big, the big um, stressor is just, I mean, it's always, a, at a certain point, it becomes always people. Um, not that it's a stressor. It's just like, that's the bottleneck. It's just that we need to grow out. So like my department has been the last one to grow because if we're just talking about what I just said, we are outsourcing inverse order of value and not value, but in terms of what you can find that skill set on the marketplace for. And so, you know, the first big team that we built out was customer service. The second big team that we built out was uh, sales uh, that kind of went hand in hand with operations. And then uh, we had billing, which actually actually was billing and customer service first and then sales and operations probably is the next two. And then right now we have, uh, I had two departments, R and D and marketing. And so right now, like if you look at the org chart, I single-handedly with like two people have been running both departments. And so um, it makes it made sense now that we're having our creative director come in, uh, videographer, uh, designer, that the, the 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 traffic people, etc. Come in and do some big things. How did how did you learn how to put all that together? Um, that's all Layla. So I'd love to, you know, pretend to take credit, but she really does. Like right now, she's, she's, she is completed. She's exiting the, we call it the strategic meeting, which is kind of like all the department heads. She's gotten off that meeting and gone on to mine, um, which is the R&D and the marketing department, because she's going to be cleaning house. Um, not that like it was dirty, but she's just very good at process and putting just structure in place, making sure everyone's clear. Like everything I said before, like clear communication cycles, et cetera. Like the rest of the company works like that, except for my two departments. <laughs> so um, like if you're trying to grow a company, you need to have what a lot of people call the first follower, but it's somebody who's going to 
other, you know, rocket fuel calls at the integrator. There's a million different versions of it, but you need one person who's kind of like the idea person who's a little bit more promoter salesy. And then you need someone else who just understands people at a very high degree and can lead and delegate and start managing things. Yeah. And you, it just happened to be your wife. It's pretty amazing. It happened to be my wife, which worked out really well. Um, <laughs> really well. We actually have a really interesting dynamic because we really have three people at the top of the company. There's me, there's Layla, and there's Mimi. Mimi is my sister-in-law. So Layla's older sister, who's six years older. Um, I like heavily recruited her. She did, she worked for a company that did exactly what we do. They were doing 40 million a year, um, but for car dealerships. Oh, wow. And so she was like the perfect fit. And she ran global. They were global. They were in a few different countries. And uh, so she ran global operations for them. So I was like, you need to work for us. Um, and so finally I got her to come over. So she actually really runs the, the hardcore ops. Layla and I are co-CEO, which is an interesting dynamic. And we both say it's like, really one person should do what both of us do. We just kind of split the role. So she's everything that a CEO should be to the internal company. So she, she really does lead the team. Um, she translates the vision for me over to like on the opposite side of the spectrum is Mimi. So Mimi is like details, like what are progress supports and where are we at with this blah, that. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, man, in, in 36 months, I can't wait until this, <laughs> you know, like we're in all of these different areas. I'm like totally in the future. Um, and so Layla really bridges the, the gap between the two there, but she's very much the, um, the reason that the company has been, so successful and has grown so rapidly has been because she's been able to just systematically build teams that can do things well. She's beating the drum. She is. Keeping everybody rocking. Well, you're yeah. the visionary. She's the integrator, visionary. That's yeah. Rocket Fuel 101, right? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know, maybe this is because it's our skill set, but like, and most people who listen to this are marketers. I, I don't think that I'm like a super exceptional marketer, to be candid with you. You know, um, I think that. I'm a decent marketer who got paired up with a very, very, very amazing integrator who mm. was able to take all of those crazy ideas and actually make them happen. Wow. What, um, so what, what do you do? What's someone like you do with all the cash? You out buying like private jets and, you know, going to Vegas? Um, no. So I, um, after, after <laughs> I have strong opinions on this. Um, but basically for the first, literally until, a week ago, actually, um, I've just been stacking cash. And that's, that's a term that I tell all of our guys. It's on ha like, it's one of our hashtags is stack cash because most people just like want to know, like, what do I do with my money? It's like, get used to having it first, um, first so that you'll miss it when you actually <laughs> send it away. And I, I track my net worth every day. Um, that's one of the habits that I have. I like to always know what's going up. It starts making me real. Cause like it gamifies the, the concept of wealth because at a certain point, like, you've like, we're, we have zero debt. This house is hundred percent paid in cash. Everything's paid in cash that we have. And for me, I was like, if I can live on 4% of what I have in the bank, then that is, that is like freedom fund. You know what I mean? And we're far, like we could live on a lot less than. So, um, after looking to everything, I knew that I didn't want anything that was going to be that was going to take my attention. And so I think the majority of people make a little bit of money. They're like, what should I do with it? I'm like your ROI on your time and your attention will get, will give you so much higher ROI from the business than you trying to get 10% on this money. And so the equation would be, let's just say hypothetically, we have 20 million in cash. Okay. Yep. Until spending all of the time and energy 
to get $2 million, which would be a 10% return, which I think is most would consider a phenomenal return if you can do that year in, year out. Um, until that number of 2 million surpasses what we actually make in a year, it doesn't really make any sense for me to take all of the time and attention to go learn all these different games to figure out which game we want to play. And so um, at, a, at an overarching level, basically what we've decided to do is we've just put everything into um, very, very, very super broad based indexes for the stock market. And we have full intention of never touching it ever. Um, and so I looked at, you know, risk wise, the, you know, the 2008 drop, it dropped 30% in a year that really won't like if you have 20 million and then it drops to 14 million, you're still fine. And if I need liquidity, I can take a loan against it. But if you're looking at 40 year, 50 year timelines, you basically can't lose. But that's, but most people are trying to think about investing when they don't even have money. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I really, and this might sound like, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant, but like until you have a quarter, maybe half million in the like, and you have no debt, you should like, you should be dealing with the things that take your attention um, and using that money to get more attention back so you can make more money. Yep. Um, and so I feel pretty strongly about that. I'll give you, I'll, I'll raise my hand to that. Dude, I, I put a quarter million dollars, a little over a quarter million dollars into rental properties. You probably know. Oh yeah, you, you talked about this. You talked about this. And so I put a quarter, this is for you guys then. I put a quarter million dollars in real estate and everything was going well to what I thought, right? Checks are coming in, not a landlord, just kind of have, I, I am a landlord, but not, I don't have the phone calls and stuff like that. Management company's running it. And then I put an accountant on it and come to find out it's not ROIing the way I thought it was supposed to be ROIing. And it's actually, it's, it was making money. Yes. But like out of the six homes I had, I had four vacancies and they weren't getting filled. I was actually increasing in vacancies versus decreasing in vacancies, which is the wrong way. And so, um, that immediately overnight started my attention, right? I actually drove, which was an, an eight hour drive to the properties I've never seen before, bought them on scene, right? And dude, for two days, maybe it's those three days, I ran hell in three cities to get the management company in play, ended up firing them. They fired us. It was a whole hoot and battle. And then now to sell the properties for a lower price than I bought them for just to get out of them. And tell you what, I think, I, I think at the end of the day, I'll probably break even if not lose maybe 10, 15 grand off of it. But that was two, I did it for three years, had them for three years. And for as much attention I had to put toward, you're laughing at me, but for as much attention I had to put towards that, I could have gone out and made 10% on that quarter million, right? By just concentrating on Commerce Kings, concentrating on, I don't know, selling this little guy. Who in the hell knows? But like dude, if you totally, like, I'm totally gay. I'm totally picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. If you spent all three of those years never getting a single email or thought about, the, about those properties and you just left the money in your bank account even, and then you just took the time and attention and then just did anything, you would make 25 grand. Right. And so like we, we make a lot of money and it's honestly an insane amount of money um, every single month. And when I look at how much we make, there's just no way that anything's going to even come close to making that much money, no. even on all of the net worth that we have. Um, in any, any time. So, so like, it has to be a tr like anyone who tries to tell you that real estate is passive is, is lying. That's why they're full time real estate firms and like 
That's why there are guys who are really developers. They don't do anything else. That's all they do. That's their game, right? It's a business. So it's like starting another business without any of the knowledge or the skills of that business and thinking you're going to win. Mm-hmm. So um, it has to be something that's like truly, truly passive. Like when you get, like I was very, the big debate was uh, whether I was going to do um, just bonds just so, you know, just to get 2%, like just literally minimal with no risk. So I don't think about it. Um, but we, we talked about it for an extended period of time. Basically like as long as you know that you're not going to touch the money, you're going to win over a 50 year period, even if it's super high right now, which it is as like, we're just going to get in and never think about it again because we don't need that. So that's where we're at. And that way I can spend all my time focusing on bringing cash in, which is the game that I know how to do. That's a good game. It's, a, it's interesting of how many people we talk to, you know, it's on this show of what do you do with your cash? So there's a lot of people who are great at making money, right? But they don't know how to manage their money. And it's, it's fun to see the people who know how to manage what their plan is and how they think about money. Uh, because when I was like five years ago, this guy was Mark Warren was um, sitting next to me at a, at, a, at a lunch and he saw something in me that I didn't see in my, inside myself. And he looked at me, he goes, hey, just know what you're going to do with the money when it arrives. And I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. And I didn't know, right? I didn't know. I was like, well, I don't even know what that means. And then you make money, like you say, and then you either don't know what to do with it. So you become broke or you become poor or whatever. And then you, you're just, you just know what you're good at. So you go make more money, right? But you, you're, you get in that cycle. So the question is, and that's why I love listening to people like you is, is okay, what, what are you doing with your money? That seems smart. Maybe I should tack that onto the to-do list and watch what I'm currently doing and maybe change course a little bit you know, diversify or do what, you know, like there's always ideas and I love hearing from, so I appreciate you see you saying that dude. I got, um, we got a couple minutes left. I want to switch behind to commerce Kings behind the scenes behind commerce Kings where, uh, where we kind of dived into like a couple more questions, but this has been fantastic. How do they, how do they get a little bit more of Alex Hermosi? Because the guns don't stop. They just keep on growing. It's amazing. The, the easiest thing to do if you're just trying to consume, consume stuff. Uh, I don't even think I have call to actions. I told you, I'm not a very good marketer. Um, is just go to alexspodcast.com, A-L-E-X-S podcast.com. And uh, you can hear us talk about sales stuff and uh, marketing stuff and money stuff and all sorts of fun things. Um, I don't make content that's longer than 10 minutes most times. So it's very bite-sized if you're into that. Into that. One bite at a time, said the elephant. All right, cool, man. Uh, appreciate you. Stay with me. We'll, we'll switch. Bye, everybody. See you guys later. Have a great rest of the day.